Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 13 of our podcast. Today, Glenn and I are joined by Jeff Winkler of Winkler Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. Jeff is a Category 1 USAC coach who has over 30 years of experience in bicycle racing. He started racing as a junior athlete and rose up through the ranks to become a professional cyclist racing in the U.S. and in Europe. As a coach, he has worked with racers in road, track, cyclocross, and mountain bike disciplines, working with novice to professional athletes. I met Jeff racing on Zwift, the largest of the social riding virtual platforms. In this episode, we will discuss Zwift and the benefits of virtual training and racing. Listen in to hear us discuss how Zwift and other virtual platforms can aid you in your efforts to be stronger, faster, better in your sport, while adding advantages not found in the real world. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Hey, thanks, guys. Today, we're going to talk about Zwift in general, but specifically racing on Zwift. And when we talk about Zwift, we're really just talking about virtual environments. Zwift happens to just be the dominant one on the social side of things here today. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Winkler of Winkler Cycling and Glenn Winkle, not related, (laughs) who everybody knows because Glenn is on all of the podcasts. Jeff, on your website, I see that uh, you're an ex-pro cyclist, which is impressive. And your bio also said something about being a lawyer, which we'll move right past, and that you also have some programming skills, which I found a fascinating set of skills. Yes, I've had uh, some interesting switches. Uh, When I was uh, in my early 20s or late teens, I started racing and had a career of about eight years or so, included time in Europe. and then when I came back to finish my undergraduate degree in the early 90s, the San Diego Supercomputer Center, which was an NSF-funded supercomputer center, one of five in the country, was on campus where I went to school at University of California, San Diego. And I ended up getting an internship job there and saw the first web browser in 1993. So got in at like the internet early days, started programming and doing web development. And and that ended up, you know, developing into starting a business and internet advertising. And and then, uh, you know, that was a chapter. And and then around the the bubble bursting around 2000, that kind of had run its course, at least the first course. And uh, I kind of switched gears and went to law school and practiced law for a while and more recently moved to Boulder and came back full circle to cycling. So Awesome. And so you're running your own uh, coaching business right now? When I came to Boulder, I uh, worked at FastCat Coaching for a year and then started doing it on my own. And during that time, I was also coaching the University of California Boulder cycling team for several years. So, Well, great. Well, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us. I actually found you through Zwift and then uh, managed to connect in, in, a, in a few different ways. Thanks for taking some time. And and Glenn, it's been a little while since we've heard your background. So can you give us a, just a, you know, people know who you are already, who have been on our podcast before, but just go ahead and give a little bit about your background. And then if you wouldn't mind talking about your uh, involvement with BRAC and Zwift. Sure, Joe. Yeah. Um, 
let's, I guess I'll start since we're on talking about athletics and stuff like that. Back in um, 1981, I think it was, I was going to do my PhD at UC San Francisco. And a friend of mine did a thing called the Davis Double Century, which is a 200 mile bike ride. And I thought that sounds like fun. So basically, I started training for a 200 mile bike ride. Looking back now, that seems absurd. But anyway, at the time, it was fun. And along the way, I worked with a bike shop in town called the Bike Odyssey. And the, the owner there was really, um, he had a small cycling team, social cyclists and stuff. And I, I thought about the idea of racing. And I went to watch Nevada City one day and I saw the race and I said, I'll never do that. Not in a million years, Tony. I will never, ever do that. Well, you know what they say about never do things. But that became my favorite race, by the way. It was Nevada City. I won it multiple times. But anyway, I was, I was naturally good. I was gifted and talented bike racing. So that became a main focus of my life for the next 40 years, I would have to say. It led to coaching opportunities and racing opportunities. I raced throughout Europe and a lot of the master's teams primarily. Had some great success in cycling. And uh, it's been a great way to stay fit, have fun. And then, um, oh gosh, I've been, I moved to Colorado back in 2002, I think it was. Quite a different change of scenery. Been racing since here. And then I've gotten more involved in you know coaching, working with the OSI team, and also now I'm a board member of the BRAC, which is the Bike Racing Association of Colorado. And the coronavirus, you know, of course, bike racing was curtailed quite a bit in this state. I got involved in Zwift, which is virtual racing, back, I think, last August. I have to tell you, honestly, I've had multiple trainers that sat all winter long idle. I hate trainers. I'd go out in the snow and the cold and the rain and ride my bike because I liked riding the bike. And trainers was just like flat out boring and you know, and then I got a Le Mans trainer, which is a direct ride trainer, which I liked a lot better. It was more natural. It felt like it was riding a bike, but still it wasn't the same. And then I discovered Zwift. And I think from the minute I, I'd gotten Zwift, it wasn't at all like riding a bike outside in, my, in the beginning. But I learned to adapt to it. And I learned to appreciate the social side of it and the different worlds I could race in. And now it's been more than a year. And um, I've done a lot of number of races, 30 or 40 races in Zwift so far, and appreciate the the nuances of virtual racing and the safety issues of virtual racing. And then recently, being on the BRAC board, I've been trying to push the, the organization to really promote virtual racing. And so I took the bull by the horn and started a little bit of a race series. And we're going to have our first race tomorrow, actually, in the series. So we'll see how that goes. Well, thanks for that. And uh, I'll give a, a little bit of background on me and Zwift. A guy that I knew on the track talked about Zwift like three or maybe f probably four years ago. And it surely didn't sound all that interesting. And it, but he, he twisted my arm and I agreed that I would join him on a ride. And it was really a bit of a pain in the ass. I had to, you know, load some software. I had to actually get a bit of hardware for an ANT signal from my Mac. And, and I went through all that and I, I managed to do the ride for, a, I don't know, about 30 minutes before my computer crashed. And I thought, oh, that was interesting, but not for me. No, I'm not doing that. And then it wasn't until last November, I remember a coworker was asking me about, and I think he was asking me about Peloton or, or, or what did I know about you know things, virtual things that uh, he could do to do fitness in his house. And of course, my mind went to Zwift that, you know, as, as a reasonable thing that a reasonable person might do, not me, but some did, uh, and particularly this fellow who had talked me into it, I knew he was still doing it. We went to that website and put it up on a big screen and we were looking at it. And I noticed that it had really come a long way since I had looked at it and thought, gosh, you know, it's coming into the wintertime. I'm going to give that a go again. And 
But anyway, I got onto Zwift and did it enough times throughout the winter because I wasn't going to freeze to death ever again. And then when the virus came and, you know, it wasn't safe to ride with other people, I just kept riding on Zwift. And I have come to think it is a great addition to my life. It's so easy. But the main thing, and we're going to talk about this a lot here today, the main thing is that I can race again. I had written off racing for safety reasons and not theoretical ones. I had been to the hospital too many times and was not going again. And so I was done with the racing. But now that I have found racing on Zwift where I cannot crash, the problem I've got is racing too much. So, uh, you know, I've got the exactly right problem that I want, and it's because of this virtual environment. Anyway, so now everybody knows who everybody is. We're going to talk about Zwift because that's the one that has had the most success in the marketplace among the virtual social riding and racing platforms. There are some others, and there are other kinds of environments, uh, some that are just for training uh, or primarily for training, like uh, Train a Road and Sufferfest. But anyway, Zwift, it's just the best one now because it's got the most people. And uh, I expect there'll be other things that will arrive. In fact, maybe some of the ones that already exist are better. Don't know, don't really care when the opportunities to race on them emerge. I'll be interested in checking that out. Before we get too deep, though, maybe we ought to, Jeff and, and Glenn, maybe we ought to elaborate a little bit on that little summary of the marketplace. You know, you guys, I think, have studied this more than me. How would you describe this, this marketplace of online or virtual platforms for riders? I got interested, I, just because you guys gave your Zwift history, I'll just do a really quick one of mine, uh, which will then segue into how I kind of learned about the platforms. But Zwift was really the first one that appeared, you know, and they were in a early beta and the, the worlds were limited to the single island and there weren't that many people on it yet. And they had a lot of bots riding around that were like translucent blue and you just sort of ride, you weren't really riding with people. But I, I just looked back and my first ride on Zwift was in March of 2015. So I was in the early program. You know, I saw it in its early version. And, you know, I came from a lot of my racing days were in San Diego. So I didn't have to worry about trainers very often. Didn't spend much time on trainers, hated trainers, never probably spent more than 60 minutes on a trainer. Didn't see it other than as a necessary evil if I happened to be where there was some weather. But yeah, the old school mentality was certainly like, oh, you're going to have to race in a rain, so you might as well learn how to train in the rain and, and be tough and all of those kinds of things. And obviously, as you get older like and, and you're not racing that seriously anymore, those, those cost benefits change. But from the day I got on it, I recognized like, hey, this is a game changer. It, it basically right out of the gate doubles the amount of time that you can tolerate on the trainer. Just from wherever you are, you can multiply it times two. Basically, I stuck with it in the winters uh, here in Boulder, and, you know, over the last five years or so until 2020. And then pretty much starting, I think my last, one of my last rides on the road was like early February. And then I went probably four months without going outside uh, with COVID. And as it turns out, I put in like 8,000 miles on the trainer in 2020. Yeah, that's a lot. So the vast majority of the time riding was spent on Zwift. So now, you know, flash forward from 2015, and you've got a bunch of other platforms. You have training platforms, like you mentioned, Sufferfest, 
Uh, Sufferfest has structured work, but then has the add-in of video and their edited videos and, and have like cheerleading messages and, you know, inspirational messages uh, to entertain you while you're doing a hard interval session. One other platform that I used this summer was is called Big Ring VR. And their focus is on getting HD video of real roads out in the world. So classic iconic climbs in France and Italy and Spain. Uh, and funny enough, Colorado, I like climbed, you know, Mount Evans virtually while I'm in Colorado this year, you know. <laughs> they uh, simulate the potholes as well. Yeah, you know, it's not as bumpy coming down, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> But that was kind of cool. And it, it was different, right? You, you, it was when you wanted to get on the bike and maybe have a, a solo experience, but you know, you, and you wanted to have a little visual candy. And I, I think I used that for six months. It was pretty awesome. There's some others that also do that and, and allow people to upload their own videos. So the library grows pretty quickly. You know, and then there's other platforms that are pursuing the social side, which is Zwift's focus, so has always been Zwift's focus is like the RGT and the Ruby's and a couple that have come and gone that are trying to replicate a group ride or, and or racing experience. The only one that I have done in the social was RGT, which I thought was good. Only thing I didn't like about it was that whenever I went on it, there was nobody there unless I was meeting somebody. I don't know. Is it just me? But riding a bike is a social thing, I think. It's much better if you're going to ride with other people, you know, it's a social thing. Even if you only talk a little bit before and after and a little bit during, uh, what do you guys think? Well, actually, you know, it's funny, uh, Joe, you mentioned that because there's something that Zwift doesn't do. On Zwift, you can chat with other riders. But honestly, when I'm on a bicycle, I have to sit up off the bike, pull my keyboard out and type into a keyboard or in a cell phone to communicate and texting. And if you're going hard, you can't text at the same time. So there's a, um, a program or app called Discord. And Discord allows us to actually have a voice channel, which we can chat to other riders. And I believe this is perhaps the most important aspect of the race that we're doing is the fact that we can talk to the other people in the field. When you ride in a pack of riders, you can't talk to the person at the front if you're at the back. Or if they're off the front, you can't talk to them. But in Discord, you can talk to everyone as if you're alongside them. And I think that's a huge feature. Race radio. Exactly. And that adds an element of social aspect that you don't even have in a race or in a bike ride. Because in order to talk to them, you have to be either alongside them and you're fighting with the wind and everything else. And you have to ride side by side. And then, yeah. you know, the local police don't like that idea. You want you riding single file. So on Discord with Swift together allows us to be able to talk to other people as if you were just in a room talking to them while you're on your bike in a train or on a bike ride. And that's a really nice element that I didn't think we actually talked about somewhat. Yeah, that that was a big game changer. I mean, early Zwift, it was all the typing and it was, you know, the text chat was kind of annoying. And you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, mostly people are just complaining about people riding too hard. That was, I actually turned that off at one point and didn't even see it. You know, I kind of forgot that it was even there. But in 2020, what uh, a group of riders that uh, or people that I rode with regularly we were like, well, what are we going to do now? We, we can't ride as a group outside with COVID. And so I had been following the Zwift sort of ecosystem and learned about Discord. And Discord has a, a long history in gaming, right? In, in other games, that's what it's used for. And so pretty much the Zwift community kind of just grappled onto it and, and made use of it. But for us, it allowed us to take three weekly group rides online to Zwift and you can real-time chat with everyone. And like, like Glenn said, it, it's better than being on the road because there's no way to have a conversation with everyone on a group ride when you're out on a real road. 
where this one, the conversation is everybody. And they even can be dropped and participate in the conversation, you know. And so you have this this unifying feature that really was a game changer. I think that it probably this group probably would not have stuck with it absent that aspect. I totally agree. I think that it it does add a lot to the enjoyment, but also, you know, when somebody does have a mechanical you can have mechanicals. They tend to be connection issues on your computer. Right. And they drop off the back. They can say, oh, yeah, my power dropped out. You know, I'll catch up if I can or right. or something. You can totally control that. And, you know, he basically you can just say, oh, hey, we dropped so-and-so. Everyone ease up and, and everyone can catch up. Another thing that I used it for in the spring, I was working with a junior mountain bike team and we were stuck right at the beginning of COVID and we couldn't really train outside as a group, at least in the very beginning. and. I got them all to get on Zwift and we participated in Zwift races with me as their coach in the field with them on Discord with them and could address race issues and questions and learning in real time. And could even have done tactics? Oh, absolutely. That's what we did. Absolutely. And it was like that, you know, even if they were in different parts of the field, if they're in a different group, they're like, hey, I'm with three other guys and one of them's not pulling. What should I do? right? That you can't do that. Like from a coach's perspective, that's impossible, right? And so it just speeds up the learning curve for racing. I mean, that's like a very unique thing. And it's even better than like world tour race radio because it's peer to peer. It's not through the team car, right? Just another value add to the audio, you know? Okay. I found I like coaching on Zwift better than coaching in real life because I'm literally, I'll actually be in the event with the person and I have the view of the person's side view and I have all their parameters. I got their heart rate, I got their cadence, I got their power, I got, I can see how they're doing, I can talk to them. And it's like riding alongside someone, you know, watching them as they're racing and giving them coaching in real time. I, I love coaching on Zwift a lot. It's so much easier than actually having to go to a site and hang out in the velodrome and freeze to death and yell at your athlete across the velodrome, for example. I can just talk to them in their ear the whole time. So it's a powerful coaching tool for a coach. Let's just bucket people into two broad buckets. There's people who like new things, and maybe they already train indoors, and maybe they like video games. My guess is that those people have tried Swift, and they probably do it periodically, if not all the time. And so I'm guessing that we don't have to talk any of those people into doing this. But if anybody feels like they fit that profile, you like to try new things and you already train indoors and you like video games and you haven't done Zwift, well, then my gosh, just go ahead and sign up. It's very easy. It costs, I think you can play for free for a couple of weeks. It's definitely worth the little bit of money that it costs every month. Maybe it doesn't change your life, but it'll be a super easy upgrade for rainy, snowy weather and times when you wish you could ride, but it's too dark. Yeah. So it'll just be worth it. So my guess is that the the hard cases are the people who have been riding for a long time. They've had a trainer for 30 or 40 years and they've spent thousands of hours staring at a blank wall, trying to get their workout in and they've decided they're never going to ride a trainer again. Or they've heard of Zwift and it sounds pretty stupid with a sloth hanging from a tree and uh, and all the thumbs up and drops to use to buy bikes and dinosaurs running by the, you know, it just sounds too stupid for them. And it is pretty stupid. But you know what? That doesn't diminish what's good about it. So this episode is for you, tough guy. Let's go through this thing. You should try it for the things where 
it's a really decent solution for when you just can't get a quote unquote real ride in, right? You know, maybe you're like me and sometimes you're up at three in the morning. So you could just lay there wondering why you're not asleep or you can get up and you go ride your bike, get your, get your workout in. But, but cycling is social. A lot of it is social. And what, one of the advantages of Zwift over these other programs, which some of which might even be better, is that the people are on Zwift. So people you already know are there. You can go ride with the people you already know. There's way more people that you don't know who are just as strong as you, whatever your level, and they are pleasant companions to boot. I've met nothing but nice people on Zwift. It's a small price to pay for trying something new that might just add something to your life. But that's just the stuff where you just can't get a real ride in. You'd rather do that, of course, because what reasonable person wouldn't? But I want to argue that Zwift, as, a, as just a name for this category of things, is better than real life in some ways, especially for the older athlete. Now, you know that we we're talking about racing earlier. I mean, the reason that it, it's so important to me, guys, get, your, get ready, because I'm going to throw this, this hot potato here to you. I mean, the whole thing about wise athletes is trying to measure your risk. You want to be an athlete for a long time. So you don't want to have some terrible thing happen to you that's going to interfere with your ability to be a strong physical person active, whether it's running or riding a bike or whatever the things you like to do. And there's lots of bad things that can happen to people riding a bicycle, going downhill at 50 miles an hour with cars going by you at 50 miles an hour riding in packs of people, some of whom are not really good at riding a bike. On top of just the idea of racing is crashing, there's lots of reasons why you might think as an older athlete that a virtual environment is better. What do you guys think? Well, Joe, it's funny you bring that out because um, you know, I've been racing bikes for many, many years. and I've had many, many trainers that spent the winters in mothballs, never touched all went along, despite the weather conditions I mentioned in my intro. And so when I got on Zwift, it was like, wow, I, I found myself preferring riding Zwift to getting all my gear on and going. In fact, I even wrote a blog about this because what happened was I went from always choosing to ride outside and never choosing to ride the trainer to actually taking the trainer up over riding outside because it might have been, oh, I waited, got too much to do and I got too late and it got dark or it was just too cold or it was too wet. But even on good days, I'd still sometimes hop on the trainer because I didn't have to get my clothes on. I just basically get my shorts on, hop on the trainer and ride. It was easy. And the fact that it was easy meant that I was actually finding myself preferring Zwift over riding outside, which seems crazy because that is completely 100% aided return for me. So safe for Andy's here. Yes. What about you, Jeff? Looking back now, I can say there was like sort of a critical transition point is, is when you stop thinking about Zwift as a substitute activity for the going outside and riding and you think of it as, the prime, as its activity on its own, once you've made that mental switch, then you choose Zwift because of what Zwift offers when you do it and you choose outside because what it offers when you go outside. It's not, to me, it's, at this point, it's not something I do when I can't go outside. It's a choice I make. Do I want to ride on Zwift because of what it offers, or do I want to go outside? 
Now, in 2020, that decision-making process was tilted heavily towards not going outside because basically the only reason you needed to go outside was to see the sun, right? You know, because you didn't get the interaction with other people and, and all of those things. And, and all of those things got moved over to Zwift. Right. And we've had countless conversations o- over this past year with my group and all of the benefits, you know, there, you could do a laundry list of things that become important to people. It's like preparation is like instead of putting on, you know, 25 different pieces of clothing for depending on the conditions, you put on a pair of bibs in your shoes and, you know, you're riding. You know, you have to set up, get your setup dialed. And that was something that happened over the course of 2020. The more you dial in your indoor setup, the more pleasurable it is or, or the less the miserable aspect of riding indoors it is a factor. You know, and a friend, one of the guys that I ride with, he's like, he's got a fridge next to his bike. It's like you have your feed zone rolling with, you know, I mean, I mean, that's like, that's great. And this was a guy, we both did it in early in the, in the spring, we both did a, an Everesting. So you're on the bike for nine plus hours. And so you're going through lots of fluids and lots of foods. And so it was like having a snack bar next to your bike, but that's like something you can't do outside. It's not the same, right? And, and it's actually a positive. Anyway, you, you're bringing a diversity to the, the Zwift experience has a diversity to it that maybe is very difficult to replicate outside. You know, even if you're in a beautiful place that has a lot of good riding options, even in Boulder, I don't know, maybe there's 10 rides or 15 different rides or maybe even fewer, you know, but it, your choices are kind of limited. Where if you go to Zwift and the whole ecosystem that has built up around Zwift, you can pick at any given time, any day of the week, there's probably 50 events that you could do in a two-hour span, and they're on a bunch of different routes and what have you with complete strangers. You know, I guess Zwift hit peak Zwift this past week of like over 40,000 people on at once. It's a group ride on steroids. You know, it's like you could something you can't do outside. Yeah, well, for sure, you can pick exactly the kind of route you want. You want Pancake Flat? Yeah, they got that. You want to go up Alp, I guess they call it Alp du Zwift, but Alp du Ez, you could do that. I mean, you could do that over and over again, all in the same day, uh, doing an Everest. I mean, they've got anything you want. I mean, I I tend to just go with people that I know, you know, whatever they're riding is fine. And if I'm going to just ride by myself then I'll just get on something flat and I'll just warm up and then somebody will go by me and I'll think, nope, I'm getting on your wheel. And, you know, and that's my pace now for a while until I can't handle it or somebody faster goes by and I, I can handle that. So I think that you're right, though. It's not either or. It's not they're the same thing and I do one when I can't do the other. It's a, a very similar but different thing. And you choose the one that you want for that moment for good and proper reasons. It's dark outside. Well, that helps make a decision for you. Or it's freezing cold outside or, you know, 65 degrees and blue sky and your buddies are going to ride up to Ward, maybe that sounds better that day. So, right. It's just a different thing. But I'll tell you that since I've been doing Zwift for this last year and a bit, I get way more hours on the bike than I used to. I'm way fitter than I was. Yeah. I I think that, um, you know, the other thing is depending upon where you live and how hard it is to get out of town where, you know, like your ride sort of starts for real. You know, you might spend 40 minutes of any outing getting to the ride and getting back from the ride, you know, the sort of a warm up cool down that you can't control on city streets. 
where Zwift, you just optimize. It's like, I don't do anything more than a 10 minute warm up now. And I do a five minute cool down because it's just like, I want to get off the bike. You know, I've done it. I'm, I'm done. Right. You know, and so take your efficiency number. It just goes through the roof because you only really are waste wasting, you know, uh, 15 minutes instead of maybe 30 or 40, you know, on any given route. You know, and that that's just not to mention the time getting ready and, you know, you go out and then you've got a flat tire and you have to change your you know tire before you can even go or, or your drivetrain's worn and now your shifting doesn't work or your DI2 battery died or, you know, or whatever. A lot of that stuff just sort of fades away and you can get to riding and get off. And, and I think for people who have busy lives, you are going to get more quality in the window you have. Well, good. I think we ought to spend the rest of our time here on this episode shortening the learning curve for people. So, well, let's just assume that we've convinced some people to give it a go or give it another go. And maybe all they're going to do is sign up for some of the racing because, you know, they miss racing because they haven't been able to race at all because of the virus or because they were worried about getting injured. Uh, whatever the reason, they, there's no reason to not race. You can race on Zwift. So, Maybe that's all that they'll have thought to do, but we could shorten the learning curve for people a little bit, make it a little easier for them, if only just to warn them of what they're going to face so that they can not be surprised or disappointed by it. What, what do you think? you think we could do that? You know, when I first got on Swift, I, I, was, I literally had big dollar signs in my eyes of what's going to cost me because I, I didn't have a smart trainer. I did have a bike power meter on, which is good for a bike racer, but a lot of folks won't have power meters in their bikes. But there, apparently there are other options that are much lower cost options than what I, I got involved in. And um, so for a couple hundred bucks, you can get a trainer that has the ability to work with Zwift Power. I mean, uh, Z Power, I mean it is. You can even modify rollers and other bikes. If your bike already has a power meter, you're already one step of the game. But the average cyclist doesn't have power meter on their bike. It's just common. So you have to use a Z Power setup, which is doable. Except the only downside is that those types of trainers would have the, what I call wheel-on trainers that work against resistance just don't feel very lifelike. They don't feel like you're riding a bike outside. It makes the whole experience much less realistic. And I've noticed that over the past year or so, my goal is to make my experience online as realistic, as much as like outside as possible. Sure, that makes sense. And I, I guess I would say that, yeah, it's possible if you don't have a power meter, if you're really so unsure about this and, and what you need to do is just go borrow a turbo trainer from your neighbor to give it a try, well, okay, fine, do that. But if you're really going to get the most out of it and, and really enjoy it, and I predict be sort of amazed at what a not perfect realism, but a very good realistic experience, you have to have a smart trainer. And by that, we mean where you've taken the back wheel of your bike off and you you put your chain on a, a cassette that is attached to the trainer itself, which can control power. It knows whether you're in a draft or not. It knows whether you're going uphill or downhill. And therefore, the amount of power you're putting into it is then converted into speed using formulas, which approximate reality. You know, my experience is that it's really quite amazing. I, I've done it now enough that I've sort of lost my sense of wonder about it. But as I think back, it was amazing, you know, just how good it was. And no, it is not perfect. And it has some flaws and we'll tell you about them. But it, if you can, especially if you already have such a device because you're using it with Trainer Road or something like that, well, be sure to, to use that. Yeah, I, I think that in order to give it a fair look, right? Like to really give it a shot, 
you need to commit to experiencing it with high levels of immersion, right? And we don't all want to go out and now with availability, you can't just go out and buy a two or $3,000 setup because it's not available. They're, they're sold out. But most of us now probably can find somebody that will let you experience it in, in an immersive way. And, and I think if you only go minimally, you know, if, if your investment is minimal, the experience will be minimal and you will be unconvinced of its value. But as you, if you can sort of look ahead and say, oh, uh, yeah, I can see, wow, if there was feedback through the system, it's harder, it's easier, you know, it's responsive to the terrain and other riders, that's going to create an immersive experience with the whole goal should be to create as highly immersive experience as you can, because it distracts you from the fact that you're sitting on a piece of equipment inside a dungeon, perhaps. And I can tell you that it does if you get the setup all the way there. And I mean, mine's not all the way there. Some trainers even like give you vibration feedback when you're on cobbles or dirt. But I have a comfortable setup. I have fans. I have screens. I have keyboards handy, all of those things. And I actually am on a kicker smart bike. So I get the immersive experience of the bike tilting with the terrain, right? Which just adds another level of immersion actually has a functional purpose too, is it makes it more comfortable because you're not sitting on the saddle in exactly the same way all the time. So you get a little bit of change, which is also why you want to have your system like rocker plates or, you know, a real cottage industry now. And that's your whole trainer goes on a platform that will rock side to side and imitates movement like out in the real world. And it actually has a significant impact on comfort just because you're changing the pressure points on the saddle in much the same way that it happens out on the road. Short answer is you do all of these things to make your indoor setup as good as it can be or as good as you can make it, you know, with your budget. It just minimizes the distractions from then the gaming experience, which when we if we loop this back to racing, I, I can tell you that when I am in a Zwift race, it's no different than being in a race in the real world. You are focused 100% on what's going on in front of you. You know, you're interpreting your physical sensations, you're interpreting the other riders around you, you're looking at distance, you're looking at all of these things, and you're making the same decisions that you make out on, in, in a real world race and with no risk of crashing or <laughs> or mechanicals or any of those things, you know, so. Well, this is the next pro. So um, I'm going to say that uh, you've got some credibility on this point. You know, and I don't think I, I, I actually was contemplating. I didn't do it, but I contemplated there was a race on Sunday, this past Sunday, that was 200K. It was a four and a half hour race on the trainer. Different than doing like an Everest or another sort of endurance challenge because you can stop and go to the bathroom and do whatever you need to do, where in the race, you're, you don't want to do that, otherwise you get dropped. So, But there, there is a, a race, there are a couple actually series where they have a long race every week. So you could do 100 to 150 kilometer, you know, 60 to 90 mile road race on the trainer. Yeah, I mean, that seems like I can say that with some ease now because I've worked through a year of a lot of riding on the trainer and it seems doable. 
And it seems like a big step if you're at like 45 minutes is torture. You're like, well, how am I going to do three hours or four hours on the bike, on a trainer? And it happens gradually, just like everything happens gradually. You become accustomed to it. Your body adapts. You dial in your setup. It's just like riding, you know, it's like most people can't say that, oh, yeah, I just decided I was going to ride 100 miles and then I just went and did it, right? Or did they work up? They started at 10 and 20, 30, 40. Same, same. You know, it's a viable racing experience in its own right, even if it's different. People fixate on the differences. Oh, it's not like this in real life. There's no technique. There's no, the tactics, the physics are slightly different. All those things are true, but it's still a system that you have to figure out and adapt and be tactical and strategic about. So in that regard, it's no different from a racing process, right? It's just not, all the details are different. But it's the same process. Yeah. Would you say that they're different enough that they would negatively impact your racing skills in real life? Yeah. Let me address that. It's kind of funny you said that because, um, you know, I'm I really focus on in my cycling on developing a very smooth spin. In fact, we had a we had a talk about this uh, pedaling style and pedaling technique, and I've noticed something, and I've been playing with this concept. But and then I look at some of the live videos that are shot from bike races and look at you actually get to see the rider on their bikes and what they're actually doing. Uh, this is me saying what I believe to be true. But I think Zwift makes you a much worse rider in terms of technique, because I was playing with this last night on our group ride with putting power out in different ways that I normally would ride a bike. And I was actually able to put out more power with less effort. And the Zwift couldn't tell what I was doing wrong. But it was very clearly to me, that's not the way to ride a bike when you're out in the real world. Okay. So that's a consideration then that if you're only going to ride on Zwift or you're going to do more Zwift than anything else. And, and Glenn is right that it's negative. It's sort of giving you positive reinforcement for a bad technique that you're going to learn to do a bad technique. Now, if it's, if it's a technique that would cause you injury somehow, say, Maybe it makes you too quad dominant somehow. And then so maybe it bothers your knees because you're not using your glutes or, you know, I'm not sure where you're headed with that, Glenn. But if on the other hand, it's just, well, I'm not going to race as well in the real world if I'm too used to racing on Zwift, you know, from my own point of view, I'm never racing in the real world again. So I don't care at all about that. Moot point for you. Uh, I'll second what Glenn said is that in my research that, Zwift does enable certain styles of riding that would not be viable in the real world. Now, whether that actually makes you worse or teaches you bad habits, I think the jury maybe is out on that because you would just readapt to the conditions of real world racing. But something that definitely goes on is that a lot of the top Zwift racers are pushing bigger resistances with lower cadences than in the real world. And they spend a ton of time out of the saddle. I can look back at, at our BRAC race, uh, our, our first BRAC race, and the guy that I was with as we approached the finish, he had live streamed his event. And so you could see him on his trainer doing it. And he probably spent 50% of the time that we were together, 10, 15 minutes, out of the saddle, periodically in, periodically out. And this was on a flat road in Zwift, you know, flat and double quotes. But you couldn't do that in the real world. There'd be no, it would be aerodynamically inefficient. It, it, you wouldn't want to be rolling along at like 65 RPM. 
So yeah, there are some techniques that apply more in Zwift than, than in the real world. However, you're speculating that he was doing that because it gave him some advantage on his trainer communicating power back into Zwift to make his bike, his virtual bike go faster. Yes. And, and I've experienced that as well. I feel like sometimes it's just easier to generate a moderately high output for a moderately long period of time by changing your position, by getting out of the saddle and sort of pushing a bigger gear. It, you're doing it because it feels like you're going to be more effective. You know, you're getting the sensation that your effectiveness and generating power is higher. Obviously, you know, with very little time back on the real roads, you'd conclude the opposite, right? <laughs> I, I can't do that, right? <laughs> I have been wondering for the last year why my cadence has fallen so much. Because I've always been a, as a track, ex-track person, I've been a, a high cadence guy. And when I look at my cadence history, I always start high and then my cadence drops off. And I, I look at that and I go, why am I doing that? Well, I bet it's just a natural positive reinforcement mechanism where I'm just stronger that way on Zwift. Yeah, and maybe even the physics of a trainer. I mean, we can go back to dumb trainers and there's been, a, you know, always people seem like they struggle, right? Like it's hard to maintain the same power inside as is outside. And that part of that is the mechanical setup on a trainer. You don't have the inertia of your body and bike moving through space to power you through the dead spot. So you end up decelerating more in the dead spot of the pedal stroke and then you have to re-accelerate your pedal stroke and so that's a different muscular load than you experience out in the real world and you have to adapt to it they do have flywheels now but they're still not the same i mean i'm 195 pounds i don't think my 30 pound flywheel is going to be yeah well i mean at the very least you know in the real world whatever that that equivalent like the flywheel effect the inertia effect it's dynamic on the trainer, it's static. Okay, so not perfect. Not a perfect representation of reality in this virtual world. No, but a perfect representation of a, a, an alternate reality. How's that? Yeah, but it is a legitimate racing experience. That's what you've said. You said it's the same. Some of the details are different, but you are, you're engaging your brain and your body in the same ways that you would if it was a real-life race. And do you think you get the same kind of satisfaction from the race? Uh, yeah, I'd, well, I'd say for me, for me in particular, I get more. And for all the other reasons you've identified as the negatives, if you will, of in real life racing is logistics and more time commitment and all of those things that are absent on Zwift. I mean, I can choose on any given day to do a race of any given length practically, and I don't have to drive it's even better than living in Belgium where you had three choices within two hours, you know, every day of the week. You know, not all the races are equal, different field sizes, different field quality. But that's the cool thing is Zwift is so big now. And there is a reasonably developed ecosystem of sites that help you, you know, navigate the social and calendar aspects of the system that you can pick and choose your events exactly the way you want to. Do you want to race against a weak field? Do you want to race against a strong field? You know, do you want to go uphill? Do you want to stay on the flats? You know, all those things. Right. Do you want to race 200 kilometers or do you want to do a 20-minute race? All of those things are choices that, are, that take moments to make. All right. 
Well, and, and we haven't even mentioned time trials and and some of the other things that are there. But just in the interest of time, let's just say that the racing is pretty good. Some would argue, at least a majority of this group would argue, that the racing is really darn good, just as good as regular racing, and in some cases better if you don't want to go to the hospital. So we really recommend it. But there are some things to learn. There are some things to uh, watch out for. I mean, for one thing, you should have a smart trainer and a bike that fits you. I would say that that's sort of the minimum. You can use an Apple TV to connect, or you can use the, the, the laptop that you've already got. If you have a smartphone to use the app that is the companion app, that really makes things a lot easier as well. You know, some of these other things you can do after you've decided that this is something you're going to spend a lot of time on. But riding for a lot of hours in a locked-in position you learn about things. Bike fit problems become more focused, you know, because you're not moving. The saddle is pressing on that same square centimeter of flesh for the entire time. I actually use a Neo, um, and so it does have a bit of a rocker. Um, but what I had learned to do when I was using a kicker, one of the old ones, was that I get out of the saddle all the time. Now, maybe it turns out that that's a power advantage also. But I was doing it because I knew that if I just stayed in the saddle, I was going to be in agony after a little while. Yeah, there's there's real differences. I don't know how if anyone's familiar with the Leomo sort of motion sensor system. They had done some testing that um, your hip movement on a stationary bike indoors compared to out on the road is essentially opposite is that you get a lot of basically if you look at hip rock and hip twist like forward fore aft and side to side those move differently so when the bike is stationary your body is moving more right we're out on the road it's the other way and so that will put for many people leads to complications uh having that fixed position and you need to take steps well you can't give up you don't give up and say, oh, this won't work. It's just can't possibly be comfortable. It's actually just manipulating how your trainer moves in space. And so you need to have a soft surface for it to rock. I've used like the standing desk pads that are soft foam, put that under the feet, and then you, you get side to side rock in a controlled way. And, and other solutions along those lines. There's lots of people, you know, the rocker plate is like the expensive solution, but it's I really kind of want to try one because they actually are putting in fore-aft movement too. So when you get out of the saddle, you have that natural forward and back movement like you do out in the real world. But comfort, you know, so I uh, people I ride with, some people have many more saddle issues than they do when they're riding outside. And so you may end up not being able to use the same saddle you use outside. You may find a saddle works better indoors and, and you just need to explore that. The other thing is uh, you could have knee issues for those body movement things that I was talking about. You might, your, your knees taking up more movement because the bike's not moving. And so you need, and, and a person that I ride with had a pretty acute problem with that out of the gate. And once he had made his indoor trainer able to float and rock, it went away. The only thing I had left on my list of things to talk about and I see that we're uh, running out of time here, was the whole idea of the loss of seasons. You know, I suppose some people 
never had real seasons anyway, because they would just go from one sport to the next sport to the next sport. And they just were racing all year long, no matter what. But for a lot of people, if they're just racing on their bicycle, there's a distinct season. And then there's seasonality, periodicity in their training. They can have an off season. They can then work on their aerobic base. Then they can start building power. And then they start being more specific you know, the, the general generic stuff. But if you're racing all of the time on a platform like Zwift, is that injuring your training? I mean, obviously you could maybe overtrain, but is it is the loss of the downtime and the loss of the base miles and the, do you know what I'm saying? Do you have to lose those things? If you have to lose those things, is losing them a bad thing? Yeah, I'd like to speak to that because... um when I when I go back to when I first started bike racing and then the season would end around Labor Day weekend. And then in California, at least, it wasn't quite as long an off-season. It would be like you'd have October, November, December off-season. And we'd kind of start back in on January 1st, the ride-up of one of the mountains locally. And so um, I only had about three months off. And then when I moved to Colorado, we were off from Labor Day and we wouldn't start racing until like March or April, which is quite a bit long. And I had this six-month period of basically idle time and of course, I wasn't riding as much because the weather was colder here. And so I noticed that I lost a lot more fitness and it took me longer to get back in shape because the season was shorter in Colorado. So for me, the fact that I didn't use trainers either was another issue. I didn't like trainers. And now I have Zwift. So I've been able to cut my racing back um, on Zwift. So I'm only racing maybe once a week, maybe twice a week at most. Um, and I can, because of the weather issues, I can pattern my racing schedule to any way I want to so I can be more flexible. But I can maintain a higher level of fitness in the wintertime that I couldn't maintain previously without the Zwift program. Yeah, I would even like step back a layer and say, well, you know, why do we have periodization in the first place, right? We, we have periodization because of external factors. Our competitive season is related to the weather, to the seasons, right? And so you race in the summer because that's when you can in a lot of places. But now, you know, you can go to other places in this country like Florida and Arizona and their racing schedule is totally different, right? They, they, they don't race in the summer and they race in the spring and the fall. So it's a little bit arbitrary anyway, you know, rest and recovery is a thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to come in a block of three months out of every 12, right? It could come you know, you could get two weeks out of every two months or, you know, or something like that. Any other sort of rest and recovery process would be physiologically equivalent without maybe what Glenn identified, which is a big drop in form because you put all of your rest and recovery together, right? And then, and then you're not training your body and it detrains. But let's even be more fundamental. If like in your case, Joe, if you're saying like, look, I don't race outside, so that season's irrelevant to me. My season is the Zwift racing season, which is the whole year, every year, right? And so you may just elect to create a seasonality, right? You can just say, based on the way the rest of my life works, I could make February through April my season, right? And so you seek to be peak form and you race with greater frequency in that block of time. And you then have a summer off because, you know, you're traveling and you're going places with kids or, you know, or whatever it might be. And so you have great flexibility. And so you should structure your racing and training around that 
you know, that you have control over now. It's not being dictated to you. That's interesting. So I don't really have control over the time of day that I go ride my bike or race. I can just control the time of year that I want to focus on my racing or not be riding my bike all that much just to suit my life. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you do something in the summer, you know, that's very enjoyable and you do it with other people and you would prefer, and you're not a skier and you don't go out and do snow sports. And so you're like, God, it'd be really great if I could race my bike in the winter. (laughs) And it would be good to live in New Zealand or Australia right now for COVID. (laughs) You know, you have that option now. So, okay. So that's great. Like if you're just Zwift, then really, yes, you need to be concerned about, oh, am I racing too much? Now, I I would just say (laughs) the body is pretty amazing and it'll adapt to a lot of things. If you've got periodic rest, you know, you can do a pretty amazing amount of things, but you look at like the top Zwift racers and it's a little bit mind blowing how often they race. So if you like take some people like uh, Holden, who's like the top ranked guy, um, and you look at his race schedule, or you look at even our local guy, Adam Zimmerman, who won Zwift, our Zwift national championships in 2018, and is currently ranked like 40th in the world on Zwift, he probably races four or five times a week. I mean, pretty much if he gets on the bike, he's doing a race. Like you look at his profile, and you see his activity list, and it's 75% races. Glenn probably remembers, you know, back in the day when you were, I, I raced a lot. I mean, I think pros raced more frequently than they do now, even though the season's a little bit longer now. But, you know, I had seasons where in four and a half months, I raced 65 times. You know, that's like every third day on average. And so you just do things differently. You know, I had more time off the bike too, because it, I didn't need to train. You know, I just raced, you know, so and maybe mentally it's easier to get up for a race than it is to go out and do some really hard interval session at six months into the season, you know? And so, and then the other thing is you don't toe the line for a start every time, like racing to win. You just can't, right? There's too many races. So you might go into a Zwift race and just say, well, you know, today I'm not really racing for the front. I'm, I'm going to hold back. Every time where I have a choice to like go to my limit or to hold back 10%, I'm going to hold back 10% because this one's not that important. And so you can convert a race into whatever intensity profile you want. This starts to make sense to me. If I'm going to race, let's say, you know, old dude that I am, I'm going to race twice a week, a real hard race. Well, maybe that's okay. That's my high intensity work. Maybe a 200K high intensity work is not really in the cards, but you know, hey, a 20 minute crit or a 40 minute road race twice a week with uh, some recovery and some longer stuff in between. That sounds good. Yeah. What if every other day on the bike was then social, right? You, You get both, you get the best of both and you don't have to go out and do hard structured training, which for some people is real work, right? And, and it, weighs on them mentally over time, you know, week after week after week, you don't have to do that. I mean, some people are totally, they get just revved up by the competitive environment and a competitive landscape. And it doesn't burn them out mentally in the same way that structured training. Would. Yeah. Um, that's a perfect recipe then. Right. You know, and, and then it, like another thing is this is of particular interest maybe to masters. It's like if you're stuck with the outdoor calendar, right? Races come on Saturday and Sunday, back to back. 
that that's the only option. There's no midweek racing. Well, if you're on Zwift, you could race on Wednesday and Sunday, and you'd give yourself ample time to recover from your hardest days of the week, right? You could space them in a way that makes sense for your weekly schedule. And so you get, you're not fatigued on Sunday because you raced on Saturday. You can have two fresh races a week. Well, that really makes a lot of sense. And I'm more convinced than ever that for the older athlete that Zwift racing or virtual racing is a great solution. And I, and I hope that this podcast has provided people with information so that they'll give it a try if they haven't. And uh, Glenn, if, if they're interested in what BRAC is doing. BRAC is designed for members of the Colorado, Wyoming area. Cause we're the localization, we're the local organization or association for USA Cycling bike racing here. I'm hoping that we're going to work together with USA Cycling to put some programs together this winter time. I'm um, using perhaps WIFs or perhaps RGT or other platforms, um, but we're working on that. I'm really trying to push a model of building virtual racing beyond this pandemic thing for wintertime programs. Because like I said, I think that this is a, I found it to be useful for me as a longtime cyclist. And I think a lot of riders will find it to be useful for them as well for maintaining fitness in the wintertime, as well as promoting getting ready for the springtime race season. Great. Anything else that uh, occurs to us, we'll put it in the show notes and Jeff, I'll, I'll get your contact info into the show notes. So if people have questions for you directly and Glenn has his contact info all over our website, but I'll also put your contact info in the show notes as well, as well as the BRAC info for anybody who's interested in that. Just look into Zwift. I predict it will be worth your time. Well, all right, guys, thanks very much. You have a great day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion with Jeff Winkler about Zwift and virtual platforms for training and racing. Check out our show notes to find contact info for Jeff and for Glenn. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.